Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. Today we have the story of Specialist 4, Danny Peterson. Peterson is an armored personnel carrier commander, mouthful, with Bravo Company, part of the 4th Battalion, 23rd Infantry Regiment, that is a part of the 25th Infantry Division, and the time period we're going to talk about is in 1970 during the Vietnam War. Now, 1970 is kind of towards the back end of the Vietnam War, and we'll get to that. Now, the Vietnam War at a high level is going to be a civil war between the North and South. The North is going to be backed by the communist, leading communist powers at that time or in the world, um, Soviet Union, China, to a small degree, North Korea, and then South Vietnam is going to be backed by the United States and, and Western allies. A lot of other countries involved there as well. The, the war would rage for quite a while. The U.S. involvement would mostly be, as we know it today, the U.S. involvement, we generally say, is 1965 until about 1972. But that doesn't really paint the full picture because we had Americans involved in Vietnam in the 50s, it, it, well, in to the mid-70s, a little, little ways after um, the official withdrawal of U.S. troops in, in 1972. So 1970 is kind of on the back end of this. If we think really the peak years in the Vietnam War, the surge, if we're going to use terminology that's come up in Iraq and Afghanistan, the surge, if you will, in Vietnam would have been between 1967 and 1969. So that's the time period where the number of American troops peaked. And in line with that, American casualties peaked. The the scope of combat, the, the devastation of combat peaked during that window, 67 to 69. That doesn't mean that there wasn't incredibly vicious, deadly, and horrible combat taking place in all of the other years. But there's this there's this deal in these in these conflicts when you're in a foreign country, and we see it today in Afghanistan, where when the opportunity is provided to fight, there's more fighting. So having more troops on the ground in Vietnam meant more offensive operations. It meant more targets for the Viet Cong. It meant more targets for the North Vietnamese Army. It meant more American resources to be utilized in the fight. We weren't going to put 600,000 people in Vietnam and have them sit around staging, watching a base and, and staging. They were going to get out and do something. We had to use these resources that we'd ask for. So just by the nature of having more people in the country triggers more fighting. It's the same that we see in Afghanistan. Some of the peak fighting, it's not that we timed. Well, let's stick with Vietnam here before I go down too far of a rabbit hole. It's not like we timed this troop surge perfectly to when the fiercest fighting would be happening in Vietnam. You can't separate those two things. The number of troops we have in the country and their actions are also leading to higher casualty figures and more fighting. Nonetheless, we're going to see this bell curve, if you will, between 67 and 69, the peak of the war, and then it starts to start to fizzle out. I think that I was just talking to somebody the other day. If I think that the Vietnam War had to be as long as it was, and there's a good time to talk about it. I think it was as long as it had to be because we kept thinking that victory was right around the corner. In retrospect, I think we can look back and say, 
victory was not right around the corner. And who knows what victory would have required. Maybe we needed to have 750,000 troops on the ground in South Vietnam in 1966. That wasn't going to happen politically, militarily, logistically like that. We're not going to do that. Remember Vietnam, when we look back at history is the major conflict of the time between the sixties and the seventies, but we didn't know that at the time we weren't just in Vietnam to stay busy. We still had a major troop presence in Europe. We're very, very concerned about a Soviet incursion into Europe, into Western Europe. That was top of mind at this point. All around the world, there's areas, American and Western allies that are at risk, or we think at risk, well, they're at risk. And maybe something happened, maybe something didn't happen, but we don't have the luxury of putting the entire US military into Vietnam to resolve the Vietnam War. So maybe the war would have been different if we put 750,000 on the ground for the first two years of the conflict. But the war took the time that it did because we kept trying. Well, maybe we just need more people. Maybe we just need to do this for a little bit longer. And next thing you know, you blink and we've been on the ground in that country for six, seven, eight years and victory might not be any closer than it was when we first got there. So in 1970, the year 1970, and the action we're going to talk about with Danny Peterson is at the very beginning in January of 1970, that year would see the fewest casualties in Vietnam over the last four years. So it'd be the fewest in five years, I guess is the way to say it. You have to go back to 1966 to find a year with fewer casualties than 1970. But again, that doesn't mean that the fighting is any less vicious. There just might be less of it happening. But the people that are on the ground might be seeing the same volume because the troop numbers are going down. So there might be fewer fire, you know, in 1969, 1968, 1969, if you've got 100 units, let's say in Vietnam, and they're each getting into one fight a day to, to equal those casualties. In 1970, if you've only got 10 units on the ground, but they're still getting into one fight a day, the fighting is still as vicious. And for those units, they're in the same amount of contact, but there's just fewer engagements happening across the country, if that makes sense. Now, Peterson and his guys are in a mechanized unit. And we don't often think about this in, in the Vietnam War. I don't often think about this, I should say, in the Vietnam War. We're talking tanks and armored personnel carriers, APCs. Is what they're, you know, the, the, one of the variants used in the Vietnam War is going to be the M113, Mike 113 armored personnel carrier. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a vehicle that's armored that is meant to carry personnel. So usually a squad, an infantry squad. And the APC is a way to deliver infantrymen across the battlefield without them being chewed up in the process. You can look back through history and see how this would have been beneficial. What if we had an APC during World War I? We wouldn't have maybe had to send people over the top walking and running and stumbling through no man's land if they had an armored vehicle that could carry them over and deliver them in front of enemy trenches. There's an incredibly useful need for these types of vehicles. They saw a, I'm not sure they saw, as I was getting ready to say that world war two was, um, we use the term motorized in some senses where there were a lot of vehicles, not necessarily armored. And I don't believe we used any sort of 
pers- armored personnel carrier in World War II. I'm not so sure we even had them in Korea. I do believe it was Vietnam where the actual concept, or maybe I should say a vehicle that is built, designed, and, and soldiers trained to use it in this sense as an armored carrier of troops. You, what you'd see in, in World War II often, you've probably seen the pictures of this, are troops jumping up on the sides of tanks and riding those as far as they can. Um, this is different. An armored personnel carrier is enclosed. Now, it has a weapon system on the outside, usually a light to heavy machine gun. But in a lot of cases, the gunner has to be exposed. So it's not like a tank machine gun where you might be able to um, fire it from inside the tank. The armored personnel carrier is not really its not really an offensive weapon. It's really designed to move troops up to the front line and, and move back as needed. So we don't think about these a lot in Vietnam, but they were pretty heavily used. The, the reason they're not as common in Vietnam is because they are outshined by another piece of technology that was is easy to talk about. It's fun to talk about, and we still see it today. It's a helicopter. Vietnam was really the first major use of Air Mobile, Air Cav. It went through a couple different names, but moving troops around the battlefield via helicopter. It was a it it truly changed the nature of warfare, the strategies and the tactics and techniques that we picked up in Vietnam that everybody around the world was able to watch take place in Vietnam. Armored personnel carriers didn't really change the war. This was something that we all knew needed to happen and we were all heading in that direction anyways. So I think maybe they don't get talked about as much or don't they don't get the cover of the the magazines when they're talking about about the Vietnam War. Nonetheless, they were used rather extensively when they could be used. A lot of Vietnam, so anytime you're taking a helicopter in somewhere, there's no armored personnel carrier there, right? It's not going to be carried by a helicopter. Certainly not by a lot of the Hueys that were used to carry troops in and out of combat. And then when you think about the thick jungle patrols that soldiers went on, you're not going to take a tracked vehicle that's six, seven feet wide or more. I think it's more than that even. Um, That's not moving through the Let's see, the width, eight, almost nine feet. It, you're not moving that through a, a dense jungle trail. So there's a lot of cases where it can't be used, but there are cases where it can be used. And why not? Because the further you can move in an armored personnel carrier is the less amount of time you're exposed to small arms fire and mines and booby traps and, and mortar rounds and everything. So given the opportunity, the Americans and any allies this time are going to use the armored personnel carrier. Peterson is the commander for one of these vehicles. So there's going to be a few people in charge of, there's going to be a crew of two. You're going to have a driver and then a commander and then a commander slash gunner. And then you're going to have in the back up to nine, I think it seats nine, but knowing the army, they probably could could, uh, fit a few more in there. Men and materials, men, equipment, materials, weapons, ammunition in the back of this carrier. So again, about a squad that they're moving in battle. Peterson and his company are moving during an operation and they run into contact with a estimated battalion sized enemy force. So in terms of rough numbers, Peterson's company, let's throw 100 out there. That's usually a fair number for a company, a battalion. We've got to be around 500, uh, depending on the type of organization. It could be as low as 350, could be as high as 800 good round ballpark number. Let's go with 500. So we blink and Bravo Company, 423 Infantry, just bumps into a battalion size, 500-man force, outnumbered 5 to 1 easily. The lead armored personnel carrier gets hit. Gets hit and is disabled. Now, when it's disabled, 
you got an issue because you have, you know, up to 11 people. Remember the two man crew and the nine, nine infantry soldiers in the back that are now stuck in this vehicle that can't move. The, the vehicle can keep taking hits. It's not impenetrable. Um, it'll stop small arms. It won't necessarily stop RPG rounds. In fact, that's what disabled this, this first vehicle here. So you've got these soldiers in the back and now we're talking downsides of these armored personnel carriers. It's a bullet magnet. Everybody can see it. It's disabled. It's smoking. People are going to shoot at it. Why not? Now, that's okay to see enemy soldiers shooting at a disabled vehicle, but it poses a problem for the people inside. Because the minute they step out, there's a lot of enemy soldiers that are going to be directing their fire right at those guys walking out of the open for the first time. So they can't. They need some sort of cover. That cover comes in the form of Specialist Peterson. Specialist Danny Peterson takes his vehicle and maneuvers it directly between the enemy fire and the disabled vehicle, placing himself right in harm's way. Remember, this was the area that an RPG was fired to disable that vehicle. So it's it's unlikely the enemy has one RPG. He knows the risk he's putting himself into, but he positions himself between his guys, this other APC, and the enemy soldiers so that vehicle can start repairing. It sounds like it's not catastrophic destruction. It's not It's not some major issue that can't be repaired. Maybe they threw a track. One of the, the, um, one of the tracks around the wheels maybe was blown off or something. So that crew is able to get back to trying to repair their APC. It's a heck of a weapon system, and you've got 11 guys in there. You don't want to have to leave it on the battlefield. So Peterson moves up, deploys his guys out of his vehicle, and positions the truck in the line of fire to protect this other APC as he gets stood up. Shortly thereafter, as that other truck is being repaired, his vehicle takes a direct hit. Of course, right? Like he's in the line of fire from where this other one was destroyed. Disables his vehicle, likely beyond repair. Also severely wounds his driver, the other one man in the vehicle at this time. Remember, he had 11, nine infantrymen. He deploys them out. They're continuing to fight. So there's an entire fight going on outside of this one small part of the engagement. That, that he did his job. He brought the infantry to the fight, got them right up to the front, deployed them out of the vehicle safely, and they're out there engaging the enemy. But Peterson's truck takes an RPG, wounds the driver, disables his personnel carrier. So he gets down, grabs the driver, and through enemy fire, peppering the area, hammering the entire area, runs 45 meters to an aid station. Well, we're not going to call it an aid station, a casualty collection point on the battlefield where the medics are, are treating the wounded delivers the wounded driver. Now his vehicle is disabled. It's right at the front, like meters from enemy positions. And this unit has just run into a enemy force, maybe five times their size. They're not going to stay and fight. They're going to, they're going to get out of there. They have to get out of there. This isn't a fight you, you take on if you can. So Peterson could very easily just retreat with the rest of the guys and, and withdraw, maybe, we like to use that word a little more than retreat, um, withdraw with his unit out of this kill zone. But as we talked about before, the danger of a withdrawal is that it's very hard to continue to engage the enemy and stay in covered positions and withdraw. And a lot of times it's during the withdrawal that units take their heaviest casualties. So Peterson, without hesitation and with no direction to do so, runs the 45 meters back forward enters his now disabled armored personnel carrier, climbs on top to the machine gun. And remember, 
The machine gun is not enclosed inside behind cover. It's open, exposed on top of the vehicle. He climbs on top, mans the machine gun, and taking fire from three sides, starts laying down, starts laying down machine gun fire into the enemy positions. He's doing this to allow his men to exit the kill zone, reconsolidate, regroup with American forces, and attack in a different area, and and maybe um, pull in reinforcements and attack back in. But he's covering their withdrawal. It's during this engagement as he's standing on the top of the APC hammering away on his machine gun taking fire from three sides that specialist Danny Peterson is killed at the age of 20. Shortly thereafter um, shortly thereafter as the news of, of Peterson's action was passed up through the chain of command the a Medal of Honor citation was written and approved and presented to Peterson's family um, on his behalf. So heck of a story ending on January 9th, 1970 with specialist Danny Peterson holding the line. So his unit could exit the kill zone as they went up against the enemy force, at least one against five in the jungles of Vietnam towards the end of the war. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.